Welcome to the I Work For Him podcast. I'm Michael Miracle, producer of the I Work For Him radio program, the voice of the faith and work movement. Our mission is to transform the workplace of every Christian into a mission field. What does that look like in your workplace? Let's find out right now. Hey, today I had the privilege of sitting down with Rick Box from the Unconventional Business Network, unconventionalbusiness.org, and he and I got to have a conversation about the history of the faith and work movement. Where has it been? Where is it now? And where is it going? And I thought I'd like to share that with you, our listeners, so you could get an idea of what is the faith at work movement all about? It was a fun conversation between two friends, between a forefather, Rick Box, of the faith and work movement, and a rookie like me. It's only been involved for the last seven years. So enjoy listening to the conversation. Well, today is a little bit different conversation than normal. Oftentimes you see me interviewing our guest. Well, today we wanted to have a candid conversation about the faith at work movement. And I turned to a good friend of mine, that uh, Jim Brangenberg is really kind of the voice of the Faith at Work movement with his uh, radio program and podcast that he's been doing uh, for many years now. And so we decided that he and I would have a a conversation today and just back and forth dialogue about the past, the present, and the future of the Faith at Work movement. And so uh, we will have time for some uh, Q&A a little bit later. And so we would just encourage you to use the chat function if you have questions that you would like to ask uh, Jim or I to answer. And our team will be monitoring those questions and funnel those to us later uh, in the program. So uh, today I'm uh, excited to introduce my good friend Jim Brangenberg. Uh, Jim is the co-host of the I Work For Him program along with his lovely wife Martha. They founded that in 2013. Jim's grown several startups over the years. He's mentored many business owners, but his God-gifted ability is to ask the right questions. He's a great interviewer, and Jim interviews believers and ministries that are connected to the faith at work, and I believe he's had over 3,000 interviews, and so he knows more people in this space probably than anyone, and so I thought it would be a great conversation. So welcome on the air with us today, Jim. Thanks, Rick. I'm so glad to be here. It's, it's exciting to be able to share some stage with you. And I saw that I had the right shirt on. It matched that picture. That's even better. <laughs> All right. Well, this is great, and I'm excited to have this conversation. And before we jump in, why don't I open us in prayer, and then we'll get going from there. Well, Lord, we just thank you so much for this uh, time today, and thank you for uh, Jim joining in and to have this conversation. So Lord, we just pray for your protection over any technology and that you would uh, help us through this conversation, Lord, so that we can bring some insight, some encouragement, and uh, hopefully turn people to you in the realization that you're at work in the marketplace. So we praise you, Lord, and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, we are uh, so grateful today uh, for time here with you, Jim. And so I just want to kind of jump in, you know, as you interview people all the time. Uh, but today, and I do quite a bit as well with these, uh, with these webinars, but today we would really like to uh, just have a candid conversation and see where that might take us. And so as we do, uh, Jim, tell us uh, briefly about your background, especially as it relates to the Faith at Work movement, and how did, how is it that uh, I Work for Him really kind of came to become a, a mouthpiece for the Faith at Work movement? 
So I was one of those business guys, Rick, that, you know, as a, as a young 22-year-old entrepreneur, I was mentored by two deacons in our church that said, business is business and church is church. They have nothing to do with each other. So make a lot of money, give the money to the church, and maybe you could serve on a committee one day. Uh, and, and so I was one of those very confused business guys that it's like, I don't understand. I've got this calling. I really felt like I had a calling to ministry, but I kept getting turned away from the pastorate. And I really loved small business. I'm, I've always been a small business guy, even since I was a little kid. So I, I was very confused. And it wasn't until I was 40 years old that I finally got exposed to Oz Hillman's Today Got His First Daily Devotional Book, or Daily Devotionals that were in an email back then. And I, that was the first time I'd ever heard. I was 40 years old, so I'd already spent 20 years in industry. I was 40 years old, and that was the first time I'd ever heard that God cared about my work. Mm. I started studying it. In fact, I uncovered the Integrity Resource Center way back when, 2010, 2011. And I'm like, wow, okay, there's a lot of people out here talking about this. But in 13, I was given a speech to just a bunch of local people in Tampa Bay on five ways to incorporate your faith into your workplace. And I, and I said, this is what needs to distinguish us as Christ followers out there in the marketplace. This is what needs to happen. Because too often I was like, people, if you're going to act that way, please don't tell people you know Jesus. Please don't tell people you know. And so I sat down in the room that day next to the only person I didn't know. And she said, Jim, you need to talk about that on the radio. And I'm like, you're crazy. She goes, no, I'm serious. I'm like, yeah, me too. I think you're crazy. Long story short, I've been praying very specifically for a way to challenge thousands of people. I never had ever thought about radio. Uh, so that made a long story short. We went on the radio April 15, 2013, and have done now over 1,600 interview, 1,600 shows with well over 3,000 people. Wow. So wow, that's a great testimony to what God's been doing in and through you, Jim. It's been a challenge. You know, I never expected to be on the radio on it, but but what is fun is I had 25 years in the commercial insurance business, Rick, just like you had all those years in banking. And, right. and in that, I learned how to ask questions to try to uncover what the last guy had missed. Because I figured if I could find the hole that the last insurance guy missed, I'd get the deal. And so I learned to ask these probing questions. Well, apparently the Holy Spirit was behind that. I knew that because I always seemed to ask the right question. And so God has just used that uh, that interviewing ability to to capture what He's doing out there in the marketplace and in the workplaces of America. And I'll, and I'll tell people why I distinguish those two words: people that work in government, people that work in education, people that work in healthcare don't consider themselves part of the marketplace, not categorically, but almost categorically. And so we say the marketplace and the workplace. So what about you, Rick? You're one of the pioneers in the faith and work movement. And you have been, I don't know, I, I should have looked it up. I don't know how many years the Integrity Resource Center, which is now Unconventional Business, has been around, but you've been doing, been involved in this for 25 years. I've, I've read your books. We've interviewed. We've had many interviews, many shows on, on the air. What have you seen over the last, why'd you get involved? And what have you seen over the last 25 years? Yeah, you know, it uh, It was fascinating to me when I look back, Jim, that uh, in 1995, I knew that God had called me to leave banking. He wanted me to go and begin helping business leaders actually apply the Bible in practical ways to their work. And I had no idea that I was, in essence, kind of part of helping build a whole new industry. Uh, it it just wasn't even uh, understandable for me. I just knew I was doing what I was called to do. I went out and started working in the space, started looking around to be quite honest. I didn't want to be an entrepreneur. I didn't want to go down that road. 
And so I uh, was looking all over to see, is there anybody already doing this stuff? And back that back then, Jim, there was really probably less than maybe 25 to 30 organizations in the country that were really focused at faith at work in a way that anybody knew that they existed. Now, Larry Burkett had written Business by the Book. Right. Uh, there was uh, Doug Sherman had written Your Work Matters to God in the late 80s. Now, he was really a pioneer uh, because no one back then hardly had written any books. And that was a little bit of content that I could find out there, but there really wasn't much else. And so as I went into this space, it was really hard dirt in those early years. People just didn't understand why anybody would want to talk about their faith at work. And everyone was always saying, well, you know, religion and politics, you could, you just don't bring up in, in conversations. And so it really was a, uh, it was kind of a pioneering effort. And as I look back over the years, it's, uh, it's been amazing to see the change from that day when there was just, you know, maybe a couple of dozen or more organizations that were focused on it. Uh, I remember picking up a book that David Miller wrote called God at Work. And he talked in there, he did all this research and he talked about that the modern day faith at work movement began in the mid nineties. And I remember reading that going, oh, wait a minute, that's when I started. You were a I pioneer. Guess I was one of those people. And I remember that uh, we started having a desire to connect people that were in the movement together. And back then, I don't even know that we knew there was a movement. We just would hear about handfuls of people that were out doing this. And we began meeting a bunch of CEOs of like-minded ministries from around the country, began meeting once a year down in Dallas. And I remember uh, one of those occasions, there was probably about 20 to 25 of us in the room. And Kent Humphreys, who was also one of the early guys in sure. this out of Oklahoma City, Ken Humphrey stood up and he was sharing something with the group. And I remember he looked around the group and he said, wait a minute. He said, it just dawned on me. Most of you are new faces to this. He said, let, let me ask, raise your hand if you've been in this five years or less. And this was, you know, this was probably in the, uh, I don't know, 2004 or five timeframe. And most of the hands went up at that time. And he kept asking, okay, 10 years, 15 years. Well, when he finally got to uh, the mid-90s, it was he and I and Oz Hillman. And we were the only ones still standing that had been in this movement. And it was really that day that I, I, it dawned on me that God had really set me as a pioneer in this space. Uh, but you asked, you know, what, where has it gone from there? I would say the growth has been phenomenal. There are literally thousands of faith at work ministries now around the country. Uh, probably 10, 12 years ago, someone actually tried to pull a directory together to start working on that. And that directory had, I think, about 3,000 organizations at that time. And that was way back then. And today, it's growing every day. There's people getting in the space all over the place and it's been really cool to watch. And that's what we've seen. We've seen that uh, that there's one central coordinating figure in all of that, and it's the Holy Spirit. In every small town, there's 19,350 
incorporated cities in the United States of America. And God is moving in the workplaces all across those countries. But I think we need to give credit to Stanley Tam and R.G. Letourneau, because R.G. Letourneau back in the late 20s, before World War II, had dedicated yes. all, gave all of his patents to the Lord and said, hey, I'm going to live on 10% and give away 90%. And he was a real cutting edge guy. But, but Stanley Tam in the 60s wrote his book, God Owns My Business. He was the first guy that published it and said, they told me I couldn't do this. They told me I couldn't give God my business, and Stanley Tam did it. In fact, my father-in-law, who was discipled by CBMC back in the 70s, because they were really, they're the really the oldest faith and work ministry in the country, over 91 years old now. Uh, they taught him that, but he was a photographer. So he got to know Stanley Tam personally, because yes. Stanley Tam connected, uh, collected silver from uh, black and white photographers. But anyway, there's a couple of pioneers right there that need some uh, uh just to make uh, some yeah, shout-outs. recognition. Yeah, absolutely. Stanley Tam, uh, he's been amazing. I, I got to meet him um, a few times over the years. And the last I heard, he's still alive. And he was he, 102 the last I heard. That's right. And and Stanley is just an amazing guy that just really had a heart for doing it God's way and trusting God and turning everything over to God. And that, that's such a, uh, a wild concept that I've shared his story many times over the years. And it's been amazing to watch the Holy Spirit move on business leaders' lives to say, well, if he did it, maybe I could go do this and see people take action. And so you're right. There's some great pioneers, even many, many years before us, that were out there actually living and modeling it. I don't think they even knew that they were part of something that was pioneering like that. It's been fun just to see God moving and to see that creativity out there because in the marketplace, in the workplaces of America, there are, we have, there are approximately 55 million active believers working today and another 30 million active retirees who love Jesus. So a lot of people out there to be influencing and impacting others. Right. And, you know, the, just the, the term faith at work, you know, as I look back, there was a meeting with a bunch of people from around the country that were in this space. And we were starting to realize that it was a movement, but everybody was calling it something different. And, and so I remember it was kind of a pivotal meeting where we started having in-depth conversations about what are we going to call this thing? And how can we start talking in a similar language? And it was really out of that meeting that I believe the faith at work phrase surfaced because there were a lot of other phrases that are confusing. And even that one still is. And I would say that uh, today, if you hear the phrase faith at work, many people take it different ways because you can be thinking about, oh, well, that's just me sharing the gospel at work. Or, you know, that's, uh, you know, that's my faith playing out in my life, not necessarily my work. So it can mean a lot of different things. But over the years, we've tried to shape it as the faith at work movement is about what is God doing in the marketplace? I think it's important. I'm sorry, I thought you were done. I think it's really important that we recognize one, two couple of real key points. That God could have put Jesus in any kind of family. Any kind of family, he could have put him in a in a in a palace somewhere. He could have put him. He could have been any kind of family, but he decided to put Jesus in the hands of a small business owner. I mean, yes. Joseph was a small business owner, so we need to understand that our Savior worked thirty years as as a small business 
employee and then eventually ran the business after joseph was gone so we have a savior that understands small business and we don't really know what carpentry meant back then we know that it involved stones likely mud likely sticks but not as many because israel at that point in time didn't have a lot of trees because they've been deforested by the roman empire but there was jesus not understood the the marketplace because he played in the marketplace in fact he had such a fantastic reputation that the worst thing the pharisees and the sadducees could say about him that's that carpenter from nazareth they had nothing else but it's also really important to understand that the explosion of the gospel for the first 300 years happened in the marketplace it it happened in the marketplace they didn't have buildings they didn't need buildings Uh, it exploded from conversations people were having as they were doing business with each other, as they were exchanging goods, however that looked like, you know, 2,000 years ago. Uh, and, and, the, and you know the importance of uh, even the work that Jesus did as a carpenter, although it's not written about much in the Bible, one of the facts or, that I really enjoyed reading was Oz Guinness wrote a book called The Calling. And in that book, yep. he mentions that in the third century, people found yokes that Jesus had made as a carpenter and they were still being used in the third century. And that's just a remarkable testimony to the excellence of what Jesus was modeling back then. And so oftentimes we overlook, as you said, the fact that uh, the marketplace was an important factor even in the New Testament days. Rick, I think we should shift the conversation to talking about what's going on today. Uh, because, you know, just as you shifted the, the name of your ministry from the Integrity Resource Center, which made sense, but to unconventional business, which really should describe the very habitat of every Christ follower who owns and runs a business. It should be unconventional. And it should operate under the unfair advantage that they have by the Holy Spirit giving them the secrets that the Heavenly Father has stored for them. So talk to us about what you're seeing uh, currently, what, what you've seen, like what, what's really going on right now, and I'll share some of my thoughts too. Yeah, you know, I, I think what's happened over the years is in the early years, it was just, you know, a, a key handful of people just trying to get the message out. And in essence, I felt like for many years, I was just an evangelist for the Faith at Work movement. But what's happened since then is is niches have been bubbling up. And so there are a lot of different organizations that have carved out some things that are very specific that help the Faith at Work movement be more robust and be more fulfilling. And so you've got things out there going on. For instance, the the chaplaincy movement is Mm, a good example. We've got marketplace chaplains, corporate chaplains. We've got uh, chaplains that are working in businesses all around the world, and that's been a very rapidly growing space. And they have a way into the marketplace that they can be that, uh, they can do that wedding, they can do that funeral, they can serve the needs of people in the marketplace that don't have a pastor, they're not attending church. And so we've seen some real vibrancy, I would say, in in that space. Uh, You also see that uh, now we're starting to see uh, the professional women have kind of had a niche. And, you know, we we have an unconventional business women uh, division now. And there's more out there, the people that are doing things specific. So kind of affinity groups 
another big one that I see is resource groups in large corporations. Uh, that's been exciting to me because the, lar the large corporations have been a really hard place to get into, in, in my opinion, and in the work over the years. I've had a much better time working with small business leaders. They're fleet of foot. They can make changes. They have courage to do it. Big corporations are scared of it many times. But in the last five to 10 years, there's been a flurry of big companies that have allowed people to set up what they call resource groups for Christians in that particular business. Right. And that's been exciting to see. I'm sure you've probably interviewed some of those folks, Jim. We have. We have. To, we have I, I have one that I interviewed that we could never play the interview because she was from a company that would not let them talk about their employee resource group, but it was a huge Wall Street financial firm. Uh, yes. But one of the things that we've seen is this. So we'd also seen the the need for the movement to minister to Christian working women. And, and we've actually, uh, we just finished a book called She Works For Him, uh, that 21 Christian working women contributed saying, here's the struggles I'm having. Here's what I need. Here's what we're seeing out there. So that's moving because in the body of Christ, we've tended to ignore the spiritual giftings of women. And there's a lot of women that there's just, there's almost, as, well, there's more women in the marketplace and workplaces of America than men, but we've, but the church has not fed them the same way, or it, it's learning how to feed them more effectively. But the other thing that we've really seen is that retirees in the United States of America, we've treated retirement, the American dream of retirement, as if it was biblical Christianity, but right. it's not. No. You know, the only retirement mentioned in the Old Testament was if you were a Levitical priest, which means you were a butcher barbecue guy uh, a butch and and most people we know are not in those categories and then they were turned into mentors at age 50 this is something that we're seeing out there is that there's a move of retirees going i don't want to retire what do i do with all my time i can only play so much golf and hunt for so many shells and play so much tennis how can I be valuable to the kingdom? And so we're seeing this movement. There's a few ministries out there. We just wrote a book specifically. I wrote along with my father-in-law, who's 87, who said, Jim, I retire for him. Mm -hmm. I didn't even feed him with that, by the way, just so you know that. Uh, so, But we just put a four in, in, in the middle, so now we have I retire for him. But it was all about, we've got so many of the Within the body of Christ, we've taken retire, Christian retirees and put them up in the grandstand saying, hey, us young people, we got it. You guys just watch the game. We need to pull them back out of the grandstands and get them back in the playing field. Maybe they're not running the plays, but they're coaches. Yes. Because we've eliminated this intergenerational discipleship. Uh, we put older people in small groups and younger people in small groups. We need to do this inner we need to do this mixing. It happens in the marketplace, it happens in the workplaces, but it's not happening within the body of Christ. So those are some of the things that we're seeing. We're also seeing here's something for that's directly fit us you used to well you've got your one minute that's been in up to five or six hundred stations and we we're on a couple hundred stations with our one minute but um when we went on the air we were one of two or three faith and work radio programs in the country well now there's only two because we're not on the air except for our one minute there's two daily programs or actually there are two weekend programs but when we went on there there was five or six podcasts faith and work podcasts today i believe they're well over 700 Faith wow. and Work podcast, uh, because that's, and it's amazing. And that's one of the things that our focus is next, is how do we gather those voices together so it makes it easy for people to find them? Yes. Excellent. You know, another uh, exciting niche that I think is uh, is high time, and it's finally starting to get some traction, 
is with pastors and seminaries mm. for them to understand the importance of the faith at work movement for their congregation and to communicate a message, a biblical message from the pulpit. Because early on, a lot of the studies showed that the average person had never heard a sermon in their life about their work and the importance of it. And, and so it's it's been interesting to watch that there's, uh, you know, Made to Flourish has been tackling the pastor's side and being able to help a lot of pastors get into this conversation. Seminaries are now teaching courses to pastors and being able to, to help them understand this and the importance of it as well. So there's a lot of great things going on. And a lot of that thank you goes out to the Kern Foundation, who had a vision for getting the church to get involved in this conversation. And they've they've uh, uh, supported Centers for Faith and Work within seminaries and, and uh, Christian colleges and universities across the country. Uh, and every time you interview people from a seminary, they're like, yes, we're making sure that all of our pastors understand their job is equipping equipping the saints who are entering their mission field on Monday. And Rick, I think that's where we ought to end the conversation for today before we open up our Q&A, is what's the purpose of the faith and work movement? Because a lot of, you know, learning how to live out our faith and our work, but what's the end game? First of all, for me, it was just understanding that my faith mattered to all of me. When Jesus saved me, he saved all of me, and all of me was being radically changed. But I tried to compartmentalize my work stuff until I realized that my work was the same thing and that I was, a as a manager, I was a pastor to the people underneath me. But the ultimate goal of this is the gospel, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. We want uh, the good news to be brought to the marketplace. But also that means, as you were talking, people have a tendency to compartmentalize their life. Uh, the, the Barna research that came out a couple of years ago, they they researched Christians, people that claim to be Christians, and they put them into three buckets. One was compartmentalizers, one was what they called onlookers, and one was what they call uh, integrators, people that are actually integrating. And it was sad, but only 28% of people who profess to be Christians are truly integrators. The rest are either compartmentalizers or they're sitting on the sidelines. And so it's important that the end goal of all of this is, is not only are we bringing the gospel in, but we're helping people see that God has a plan and a purpose for their vocation. And he wants them to model God's word and live it out. And my, my verse, when I first got into this whole faith at work movement was Matthew five nineteen, And I remember reading it and it said, you know, that if you practice and teach God's commands and principles, you will be known as great in the kingdom of heaven. And right. I remember back then thinking, wow, not only is that good for me, but what if I could drag a whole bunch of business leaders in that they also became known as great because they were modeling and living this out as well. You know, we often say on the show that as Jesus followers, our faith should be so compelling that everybody around us is being impacted in a positive way, whether they believe in Jesus or not because that is what the Holy Spirit is doing inside of us. And that's why we've adopted Romans 12 too, NLT version for Jim, because I use simple words, but stop copying the behavior. Yes. Yeah, stop copying the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. And that's what I had. I had to, I had to change the way I thought about my work and about the people I worked with, about my bosses 
I had to change the way I, th- I thought because I thought I just needed to invite him to church to let the pastor do the work. That's how I started it off. But now I understand, no, that's my role. I need to introduce them to Jesus. You know, on, on, a, on the air, we used, to, we used to open up the show like this. Your workplace, it's your mission field. And in that mission field, you and me, we may be the only Jesus, our coworkers, our employees, our bosses may ever meet. That job that you hold, that work that you do, the people that you work with, none of that is by chance. The people that you work with, they need to meet Jesus, and you may be their only chance. And, you know, five months ago, Rick, 70% of the population never went to church. Now we got 99 and a half never entering the door of the church. I mean, in five months, we've shut down the churches across the country. We yeah. are, Jesus living in us, we are the hope for this nation. Yes. Well, uh, I know we want to get to some time for some Q&A. And uh, one area that we really didn't touch on, though, before we do that, Jim, is where do you see the faith at work movement headed? I mean, we talked about the past and what's kind of going on presently, but any thoughts you have on where you see it headed? Yeah, I think there's going to be an amazing collaboration coming up here in the next 10 years that all of a sudden people are going to realize this is about the kingdom. And because Jesus said, he spoke to us 2000 years ago, and I believe it's in the book of John where he said, listen, they're going to know you're my followers when they see you walking in unity. And I believe there will be an amazing, uh, here's how I see it. I believe that the faith and work movement is one huge choir, but all along we've all been kind of singing our own tune. That doesn't sound good. If you've ever been to a choir concert, a bunch of people singing their own tune, it sounds horrifying. But I really believe we're going to learn to sing in unison and also learn to sing in harmony, celebrating the differences in each other. Because there's there are uh, there are other Christian roundtable discussion groups that are different than unconventional business, but you guys have a niche. You're doing something that's very unusual, and your quarterly events have been fantastic and really setting the standard for quarterly events across the country. We need to unify this and start to multiply it because we're only touching a wee bit of those people out there. But I, So I think unity... And um, uh, collaboration is going to describe the next 10 years. And I would concur that, uh, you know, in any industry in its infancy, you have a lot of mavericks that are starting their own thing. They're getting things rolling. They're creating uh, people noticing that particular industry. And then there comes a time of consolidation somewhere along the way is what it's usually called in the business world. But in our world, it is unity. Right. And so I do think that we will start to see uh, some organizations probably working more either collaboratively or maybe even merging as there's so many out there now that people are reinventing the wheel over and over and over again. And so I do think we will see a lot of uh, uh, collaborative efforts as well as some unifying uh, activity that goes on as people kind of merge together. And that's one of the roles that we feel like at I Work For Him that we try to do because we've been given a bird's eye view and interview people from coast to coast is that when we see two ministries operating similarly, we try to connect the leaders of those ministries, say, listen, you guys are both doing the same thing. You can work together and do it exponentially more effectively and maybe experience some economies of scale. There's some words that people love to hear. Let me find economies of scale, because when I find economies of scale, I save money. And these are kingdom resources, and I don't know about you, Rick, but I'm not rolling in kingdom resources here. (laughs) Absolutely. Well, that's a good segue into some of the questions. We've got some great questions rolling in here, Jim. So let me throw this one at you. It said, uh, somebody wrote in, what do you see as the greatest need and greatest opportunities going forward? Uh, the greatest 
need an opportunity. I, I love this because we have now, the Lord shifted the paradigm. I, I really felt like he's, he was saying, Christians, you're not being a, as effective as I need you to be in the workplace. So let me just add a little bit of tension to this. I'm going to, I'm going to exile you to your homes and I'm going to create this huge, I'm going to allow this huge tension to enter and, and because I'm going to let the rest of the world start to experience a lack of hope and you guys need to present the hope. I think the huge opportunity is that as Christ followers, we know the only hope that can solve the fear that has gripped the globe in the last five months because of COVID-19. And that we've been given the huge opportunity there is for us to share the hope that's in us because Jesus is the only answer to the solutions of injustice, to the solutions of fear, to the solutions. Everything we look at, Jesus is the solution. So I think that that's, that is the huge opportunity here, Rick. I really think. Yeah. Yeah, well said. I do, I do agree, especially now. We're in a season that people are so concerned. There's so many challenges thrown their way. And I'm hearing from business leaders that this is a time that Christians in the marketplace should be shining and be able to show people that there is a place of hope, that God has a solution, and that we can rely on Him through uh, these challenging times. And I think it's important to know what does that look like? You know, for us, we just, here's what God did in my life. He just taught me first to pray for the people I worked with. Just pray for them by name every day. Just pray for those people. It's, that's how my ministry started in the marketplace. I prayed for them. And then I looked for ways to serve them over and above what my job required me to do. Then I started building friendships with people. Then I looked for ways to pray with people when I noticed they were having a rough day. But all along, my my demeanor needed to display excellence in my work. And I think people need to know, like, how do I even get started with this? Just start by praying. It's not going to change the people. It's going to start changing us inside. Is that, how, is that what you saw, Rick, when you were in the banking business and your mentor started discipling yes. you? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, what, what gave me a heart for this whole work is watching somebody actually modeling and living out the Bible and not afraid to drag the Bible out and say, you got a problem? Here's a solution. Let's apply it and see what happens. And, and that's, you know, my heart is, is let's help people make the Bible practical so that they can use it in the marketplace. And people like me that I was running from God, once I saw that the Bible was used practically in the one area of passion I had, which was business, that was the first person that got my ears to be able to listen because prior to that, I had people evangelizing to me all the time because I had a, a poor mother that was on her knees praying for me every day. And so I always had people evangelizing to me, but I didn't have ears to hear until I watched somebody actually model and live out the Bible in the business world. And so I think that's important. That kind of leads to a great next question here. Uh, Jim, since you've done so many interviews, you might have a good story here. So tell us a story about a business that's making a difference because they transform their business for Christ. All right. So I got this guy out of Sarasota, Florida, he runs an air conditioning business. And as you know, um, Florida, air conditioning, we use air conditioning 363 days a year, and then we turn the heat on for two days. Okay. I mean, it's a, it's a big deal. Our air conditioners wear out in 10 years. Okay. And, and this guy, um, he was... He was before he ran the business. He was an air conditioning repair guy for Sears, a brand everybody recognizes. And one of his employees, or one of the guys he worked with, invited him to lunch one day and said, "Listen, I want to tell you about Jesus over lunch." That's how he became a Christ follower. Later on, he owns a business, and what he realized, he had 167 employees, and and he realized this is this is my ministry. 
And he started telling his people, listen, I, when you go in to work on people's air conditioners, if there's something else they need, because a lot of times in Florida, you know, we have 23 million people now, and a lot of them are somewhat older, 70 plus. And sometimes they need help lifting a box over here or doing some small things. If somebody has something you see that they need help with, go ahead and help them. We know you're there to fix air conditioners, but it's okay to help them. But I interviewed one employee from that business, a one of, 300, of 167, and that guy was a former pulpit pastor. And he goes, Jim, when I go in to work in somebody's air, he's a maintenance guy. So he goes, does the yearly maintenance on air conditioners, which again, you have to do in Florida because we use it all the time. And he goes, I have amazing conversations. In fact, I have more opportunities to minister to lost people as an air conditioning repair guy than I ever did as the pastor of a church. And that was one huge one that, that the guy got it and that the owner said, I endorse what he's doing because I want my people to minister to my customers. And, and another one, not pretty close to you, Rick Beatenbow. I think, have you had Rick Beatenbow? Okay. Yes. So yeah, that we story. Had Rick speak for us at our summit. Yeah. So that story alone explains just so much, but just the fact that he thought being a good steward was given 10% to mission organizations. But he realizes that all of a sudden, wow, I have 187 employees. That's my mission field. I got to stop giving money away to those. I got to start ministering to my own people. And he put, brought, hired ministerial staff onto his own his own company administered his people and his subs that's the kind of paradigm shifts we're seeing all over the country yeah yeah and you know i i think about all the companies i've met with over the years and one comes to mind uh in kind of that same way is i was teaching over in south africa uh many years ago and there was a company on my last day in south africa this company called and said we hear you're in town. Our employees are all gathered today for a meeting. Would you come over and, and speak and share with them? Well, this company had actually heard the same day I had, in, they were in America, some of them were in America, and they heard Stanley Tam share his story. And they were so moved by what Stanley Tam shared about giving up control of his business to God that uh, they went back to South Africa and they started uh, – a real estate business and they actually hired one of the partner that they, they appointed one of the partners to be over the staff ministry. And so they ended up developing an entire program for their staff on how they were going to care and love on them and do business differently. And it was a remarkable place to go and speak to them, listen to them, and hear about what God was doing in and through that business because they were loving on their people, they were caring for them, and they were doing business in such a different way that people were coming from all over Africa to their company to watch and observe and to see how they were doing business. And it was transforming the entire culture, not only of that company, but of their community. So you have one of your people sent a question about Stanley Tam's title was book, God Owns My Business, and saying, I think the title should be better, hey, God, let me steward his business. But I think it's really important in Stanley Tam's example to understand Stanley actually gave up ownership of his business and put it all in a foundation where he did not run, he didn't own his business. He, right. he didn't own the business. God actually owned the business, which the lawyers kept telling him he couldn't do. I just want to make sure people understood. It's not just a title. He actually did it. He didn't. It, he actually did it, and he set up that foundation so that he could fund evangelistic efforts worldwide. And I had breakfast with him one morning, and I asked him how that went. And he said, you know, if I hadn't done that, 
there would be $200 million of evangelistic efforts that we funded that would have never happened. Mm, that's staggering. Amazing. Yeah, amazing story. So let me look at some other questions here real quick uh, as we try and wrap up. So, and some of them we've kind of probably covered. Uh, what does faith at work success look like in the workplace? Hmm. I'll go first, but I want to make sure you comment on this too. So I, I think to me, I think it's a step process. First, understanding that God loves your work, that he gave it to you as a gift, and that he wants you to flourish in your work. But until we understand that it's a gift and that he wants to walk alongside of us, a lot of times look at us, we look at work begrudgingly. So faith at work first means just understanding God's love of our work and then wanting to walk, walk alongside of us. The second stage is us actually letting our faith flow out of us in everything we do, trying to do it with excellence. And obviously the end goal is to actually get the opportunity because our behavior is so randomly different to get opportunities to share why. Why are you this way, Jim? Why, what, what is it about? Why? Why? I, I get that question all the time. Like, why won't you compromise? <laughs> and you got to say, yeah, listen, Jesus changed my life. Can I tell you about Jesus? Rick, what about you? What do you think? What do you think faith and work success looks like? You know, we use a phrase along the lines of what you were just saying. We use a phrase a lot of changing lives, transforming workplaces, and impacting communities for Christ. And so I believe it begins at an individual level first. As you were saying, they need to grasp that God created them for a purpose he has a purpose for them vocationally, and it doesn't mean they have to cash it all in to go to seminary and be a pastor or a missionary. They can serve right where they're at. And if they do, and they do that well, then it does truly start to transform the culture of that workplace. And then when that workplace starts transforming, and you start having more and more people within that workplace that are getting it and are seeing how it should be modeled, then that just by the nature of it starts to shine a beacon of light into the community and it starts changing the community for the good. And so I think that's what success is. Whenever we see that individual life changed, we see that workplace transformed, and then ultimately we see an entire communities that began being impacted by that. And I think it's when the leaders that you are mentoring, when they actually start to learn to appreciate and love their people. When people start to feel loved and appreciated at work, it feels different than any workplace they've ever worked in before. So if, you have a, if you're in a leadership position, a supervisor position, a manager position, and you start praying for your people, and then you start loving them, uh, it, it just starts to transform the culture. And that's where I think that's one of those future things. I think we're going to start to see American corporations transforming the greater United States of America culture because of them loving on their people. And people are going to go, I want to work there. Yes. Well, as we need to uh, kind of wrap up and uh, let people get uh, back to work, I think a good place to end is uh, one question we had was, so how do I get involved? So how do I get involved in the faith at work movement, Jim? Any thoughts for people? Yeah, I think you've got to find an organization that can equip you, that can help you take your awakening to the idea that God loves your, God loves your work and that you get connected with one that will disciple you to do that on a regular basis, hold you accountable, uh, get involved in a place that's going to remind you every day, hey, my workplace really is a mission field full of lost people who need to meet the Jesus I already know. So to me, it's got to be that step of connecting to an organization like Unconventional Business that's going to equip you regularly on how to do this. What do you think, Rick? 
Yeah, I, I agree. I think there's different uh, great organizations around the country that are doing different things. And we, we try and be as collaborative as possible, uh, knowing that we're all working for the same Jewish carpenter. And so we may have some stuff that may be helpful to, for, for whoever's listening out there. But there may be other organizations, uh, many of them that you've interviewed over the years, Jim, that may be a better fit. And we're fine with that because we understand that God has his plan and purpose for those people. But I do agree that they need to be equipped first. They need to understand how do we do this stuff and why are we doing it? And so look for somebody that you can plug in with. Sometimes it may be starting with a book. You know, my unconventional business book was written in a way so that a business leader that's trying to grow their business can see some practical ways to apply the Bible. And your book on financial business is a great intro to that whole thing. And, and just I want to tell people, I work for him.com. I work the number four him.com. If you want to send me a question, say, Jim, I'm in this city or I'm in this part of the country. Who do you know? Maybe it's not yes. in St. Louis or Des Moines or Kansas City where you guys are already at. But Rick, you've got roundtable discussion groups. You've got forums that you're doing. Those are things people need to know about the power of them because you have seen thousands of people attend these over the last decades. There's a lot of lives being changed and influenced by those. Yes. Well, I'm going to try and wrap us up now. Uh, I knew this time would fly by fast. It's always so fun, uh, Jim, to interview with you. And uh, we have some questions, but when I look at them, I think we've covered probably most of them with some of the answers we've already done. So let me just kind of wrap up. But first, I want to just say thank you, Jim. Thanks so much for spending time with our audience today. Well, thanks for having me. And Rick, thank you for being one of those forefathers of the faith and work movement, not giving up when it really stunk, like you just wanted to give up and go get another job. Thanks for not giving up. Thanks for being one of those voices of reason. And thanks for feeding into the next generations that are going to pick up the, the torch and carry it on. And so thank you, Rick. Very good. You've been listening to I Work For Him with your host, Jim and Martha Brangenberg. We're Christ followers. Our workplace, it's our mission field. But ultimately, I I work for for him. Thank you for listening to the I Work For Him podcast with your hosts, Jim and Martha Brangenberg. Please visit IWorkForHim.com to learn more about connecting your faith and work, to join the I Work For Him nation, or subscribe to our weekly blog. You can also follow us on social media at IWorkForHim to stay up to date and meet our guests. If today's message spoke to you, please subscribe, rate, and review the show on your favorite podcast platform. Your review will launch more workplace missionaries across America. That's at IWorkForHim and online IWorkForHim.com. I work the number number four, him.com.